0: Welcome to episode 105 of the Writing Life podcast from the National Centre for Writing, a weekly podcast for anyone who writes. I'm Simon Jones.
1: And I'm Steph McKenna.
0: And it's the 29th of July here in Norwich as this episode is going out. And I'm actually on holiday because we recorded this last week using the magic of time travel.
1: Woo! We're in the past. No, we're in the future. We're in the future.
0: Unless, of course, someone listens to this episode a couple of months down the line and then they're in the future even more.
1: So we're in the... No, would we not be in the past? We'd be in the past and the future.
0: I don't know. This is all getting a bit too timey-wimey for...
1: Someone needs to write a plot point for this A book.
0: A plot point? A Ah, plot point. Funny you mention that because last week we released our new ECA Writer's Resources Pack, which is all about plot.
1: See? Seamless.
0: Amazing. Uh, yeah, full of really great stuff from Inua Elms and Okachoku Nizulu and Nicola Upson and also me. Uh, but lots of good stuff in there, all to do with how to craft a plot. And today we're actually going to be rewinding a little bit to our previous pack, which was all about characters. Uh, because on the podcast today we have Sarah Perry talking to Chris Gribble all about the creation of characters.
1: For those that don't know, Sarah Perry is the author of Melmoth and Waterstone's 2016 book of the year, The Essex Serpent. Uh, So she certainly knows a thing or two about crafting memorable characters.
0: So if you're a massive fan of our YouTube channel, you might have already heard this, but we figured lots of people might not have spotted that. So here it is on the pod. And something that really interested me actually is Sarah is quite firm on the notion that characters don't have lives of their own in the way that some authors kind of say that their characters came to life and they lost control and they just did what they wanted. And I have to admit, I've I've been guilty of saying that kind of thing in the past.
1: It was quite interesting to hear her say that actually, because I think Sarah Perry crafts characters quite well, so I almost expected her to go down that line of, you know, my character's just come to me in a dream and, you know, they just <laughs> shape themselves and I almost don't have any control over them. But she's very firm. Yes. And uh, it's just, yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. I think it's quite a, a Marmite point of view.
0: Yeah, Nicola mentioned it on the pod last week as well, um, where although we were talking about plot character, it inevitably came up because you can't really separate the two. And she was also saying that, you know, as the writer, you are in charge. You're the one who is doing this. Mm. <laughs> your your characters you're not somehow splitting your brain into multiple personalities, you know. Mm. Um, and that's that's very much Sarah's point as well. And I think when it sounds like their viewpoint is that when authors say things like the characters had their own motivation, what it actually means is that that, that author has crafted a character that is you know, well-rounded and has good motivation and purpose. Yeah. And, and it can feel a bit like that.
1: By saying that your character has a life of its own, I feel like you're not giving yourself enough credit as a craftsperson as well.
0: Yes, exactly. Um, and yeah, you need to acknowledge that actually it's because of your writing that any yeah. of that is happening. Mm. Okay, so let's uh, let's stop paraphrasing Sarah and let her speak using her own words. Here is Sarah talking to Chris, all about character.
2: Sarah Perry, what a fantastic opportunity to say hello to you on this bright, sunny lockdown day. Hey, how are you?
3: I'm really well, thank you. And it's nice to be here and to be talking about books again and, you know, keeping my hand in, so to speak.
2: I just wanted to start out with that. There was a recent survey from Durham University that uh, kind of claimed that 67% of writers heard their characters speak and they engaged with them. What, what did you think of that when you actually read it?
3: Um, I... It's a little unfortunate that it sort of touched on one of my little irritations, which is a perfectly benevolent irritation and I don't hold it against anyone in particular, but. I think that the romanticisation of the creative process is actually a little bit dangerous because what I believe and I think what's very good certainly for early career writers to believe is that this is a craft and that we are craftspersons and that we can learn how to do what we're doing better and the more we enjoy this very tempting tendency to think of the muse having descended and so on the less it feels like something you can get better at. So when people say that, you know, they they met their character one morning and everything had changed from the night before, that is a way of saying that their imagination had been working in a particular way. So when people say, I heard my character speak, generally speaking, unless someone is suffering an auditory hallucination, nothing of the kind happened. It's a way of describing the imagination, which is a strange and wonderful thing. So it's a question of terminology, isn't it? I don't hear my character speech, for they are not real. Um, but I imagine how they speak, and the imagination fleshes that out. So,
2: yeah, no, I think it's a really good point. I think the to that credit, the author of the report also noted that kind of the difference between kind of auditory hallucinations and just being able to interpolate yourself into a dialogue with something you've created is a different thing, and the, and the very and, and and the very sort of realistic and well sort of thought through writer Val McDermott noted at the end of the article in The Guardian that, um, you know, her car- I think she said that uh, the characters have the life that I gave them and no more, uh, which is a sort of a comforting sort of uh, thing to think about.
3: Yeah, and I think most of the authors who, that you know, the 67%, I think it was most of those, what they actually mean is that my imagination allows me to to yeah. engage with my characters. But to people who are perhaps less confident in their craft, something like that can be faintly alarming because they will think, well, you know, my, my imaginative process is flawed because... No, no, can't hear them. So there's something wrong. Um, So it's about the way we present these things, I think, in a way that's kind of unthreatening and inclusive.
2: I think that's the critical thing. It's about kind of finding your own direction with it and not feeling somehow less because you don't sit there and engage in a two hour kind of Socratic dialogue with a character that you've made. I have a really strong memory of kind of when I was studying my PhD, reading a novel in which there was a someone studying a PhD and this character had conversations with their PhD subject in their room. And I remember sat there in a kind of in a slightly dingy bed sit in Manchester going, oh, well, I'm not having discussions with my PhD subject. I must be rubbish at this.
3: Exactly. <laughs> yeah and it's you know it's terribly easy to um fetishize the writing process to fetishize the idea of being a real creative and that's why I have this arguably very unromantic workaday idea of what writing is that that it's storytelling that it's a craft that you have tools in the same way that a carpenter has tools And um, because if I keep saying that then to the people who are likely to be perhaps a little threatened by those things they'll think oh well I don't hear my characters echoing down the hallway when I wake in the morning but I can go over my dialogue and make it less wooden to continue the metaphor.
2: When you talked about it on Twitter there's a fantastic question from uh, Michael Faulkner who sort of asked you if you found that a character that you'd written had developed differently over the course of a novel to how you'd originally intended?
3: Absolutely. Such a good question. And absolutely that's the case. But the way I would frame it is that as you work in exactly the same way that, you know, a woman making a chest of drawers might imagine that the proportions will work a certain way and then the drawer sticks every time she she opens it, she'll then have to adapt it to make it work. Um, I might have an idea for a character being a certain way and find that it's unconvincing, it's unsatisfying, there are elements of a character's personality which just doesn't lend itself to the story that I'm trying to tell, and therefore I make them more talkative, less talkative, more bad-tempered, you know, more even-tempered in order to serve the story because for me, and, and I absolutely appreciate there's, there's more than one way of, of writing, but for me, my characters are plot devices, enabling me to tell the story mm. I want to tell in the way I want to tell it. And if, they, if they're not serving that purpose, they will have to change. Sometimes it can feel as if that process is mysterious because our imagination and our, our intellects are so vast um, and so sort of um, mysterious that you can be washing up, by the end of washing up, without thinking about it, your character has changed but it's still your mind that's doing it, definitely.
2: Mm. And I'm I'm thinking of kind of perhaps the difference between um, John Cole and Cora Seaborn uh, in kind of, after me comes the flood your first novel and then the Essex Serpent. Is there anything between those two characters that you sort of learned as a writer and that can, can really taught you something about how you yourself dealt with your characters?
3: absolutely so um, these are such um, useful examples because they couldn't be more different Um, and they are different because I wanted to tell different stories and explore different ways of of sort of um, people engaging with each other so for my first novel if you would like to write a book which is about challenging preconceived ideas of love what constitutes love what we can call love it is ideal to create a character who's never really allowed himself to feel it so that when he is confronted with those things they are sort of more intense and and so on so therefore, it suits my purpose for him to be rather dry and, and um, sort of repressed and contained. Whereas if you want to write a novel in which a character, by her openness and her desire for intimacy, kind of ricochets through the lives of other people like a kind of um, spiralised bullet. can't think what the technical term is. She can't be <laughs> repressed. Um, she has to be a completely different person. So although they become, as it were, very real to me in the writing, they are called into being because I have a job to do and they're going to do it for me.
2: Mm, in terms of kind of um contemporary writers who do character very effectively and quickly are there particular writers that spring to mind that you think oh gosh they do it
3: absolutely and there's actually two books two recent publications that really spring to mind one of them Sarah Moss's latest book Summer Water which I don't think has been published yet and it's episodic in the sense that um it's it's um one day or at least a very short period of time told from the point of view of a series of very different characters all from their point of view of view and the way she kind of completely inhabits these very real seeming people who who all of them seem to represent a completely different way of looking at the world. So you have the sort of unsatisfied mother who's obsessed with running um, and you have a young boy who's desperate for for sort of his freedom Um, and her characters there are are not vastly fleshed out, it's a very slender book and we, we really only have quite short glimpses of them but they exist totally convincingly and and as real people but also they're very evidently there to serve her purpose of examining sort of a range of ideas now the absolute opposite end um you know Thomas Cromwell in The Mirror and the Light you know this is this is a novel that is in some ways almost entirely interior because everything is all filtered through this man's consciousness Um, and so he exists very fully um, in a very different way from Sarah Moss's character so it's exemplars of two totally different ways of doing it which is really exciting.
2: Mm, Fantastic thank you very much I think the Sarah Moss book is out this late summer autumn perhaps?
3: Yes I think so yeah
2: Fantastic. Well, Sarah, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time.
3: Thanks
1: to Sarah and to Chris for the chat. If you'd like to get in touch, don't forget you can follow and contact us on Instagram and Twitter at Writers Centre. We're also over on Facebook. If you'd like to check out all of the resources we were discussing, head over to nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk and you'll find them under the Writers Toolkit in the navigation.
0: Don't forget, you can also join our lovely Discord server where we have lots of writers and readers hanging out and having a nice chat. We're running occasional writing sprints in there. So if you want to join in on those and see how many words you can get down on the page, that would be very welcome. Please do rate, review and subscribe to the podcast because it does actually, for real, help other people to find it. Thanks again, keep writing and we'll catch you on the next episode.